Mark chapter 7 is where we are this morning as we look at a mercy beyond imagination. We have a very unusual passage with us this morning. If you would rise, if you're physically able, out of respect to God's word, I will read verses 37, 31 to the end of the chapter. And again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him, and he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. And then looking up to heaven, he sighed, and he said to him, Ifatha, which is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Lord, would you give us understanding and help us to see you more clearly this morning. You, Lord Jesus, who are alive from the dead and present in this room right now. And we love you and pray in your name. Amen. Thanks. Please be seated. In these final weeks together, I strongly desire for us to see Jesus afresh and to be reminded of how he receives sinners. Just like we saw last week and how incredibly merciful he is. Our passage for today reveals how willing Jesus is to receive people. And not only willing to receive them, but to touch them in the unique ways that they need to be touched. And I want to remind you that Scripture teaches us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so whatever he did then is the same way that he works today. And so as we consider this incredible merciful Savior that we serve. Let's also listen to these words, to this explanation, with the understanding that this is the same Jesus today that we see in Scripture, and that he is working in our world and in our lives in the same way that he did then. He receives sinners, he has the same love for sinners, and he has a willingness to touch even the deepest needs. Does that sound like a good God to you? Yeah. Well, I'll take your smiles as affirmation. <laughs> the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus' mercy is an out-of-the-way mercy. Verse 31, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon. Why is he in Tyre and Sidon? Because he started in this region here that you see on the screen. Uh, he had gone to that map says Gerasa, I think. Almost impossible to read back there. But um, another version of your scripture may read Gennesaret. It's the same region. And then from there, he went to Tyre and Sidon, which is approximately 90 miles. I don't know the last time you walked 90 miles, but it, uh, that's about how far it is. And then from there, at, at, in Tyre and Sidon, Jesus 
ministers to a, a woman's daughter who has a demon, and he goes all the way up there to minister to this one lady and to cast the demon out of her son. And then he re returns to the region of Decapolis, that area to the uh, right of the Sea of Galilee. Decapolis is a Greek word that means ten cities. It's just an area called Decapolis. And it was populated with mixed peoples, Greeks and Jews and Gentiles. And Jesus goes quite out of his way to go both from Israel up to Tyre and Sidon and then over to Decapolis. Why do I bring that to your attention? Well, number one, because Mark brings it to our attention in verse 31, that he went from Tyre and Sidon into the region of Decapolis. But if you see where Mark is taking us in his gospel, you also see that Jesus often has times when he just needs to get away from the religious phonies. You ever felt that way? <laughs> you just need to get away from church people. Sorry for saying it that way, but that's kind of the way it is. You just need to be with real people who are in the world and who act like real people with needs. I do remember, as I studied this passage this week, I remember how far out of his way Jesus went to bring me into his family. I was a young person, and I was an aspiring musician, and trying to find significance in my own abilities and what other people thought of me, and I was a very imbalanced young man, and in my imbalanced state, I was moving headlong in a very wrong moral direction and God sent some people into my life who spoke truth into my life who saw what God wanted to do they, they, they looked past the obnoxious teenage kid that I was and they saw what God wanted to do and I was not easy to love but these people came alongside me and loved me and spoke truth into my life. And as I look back on them, some of them are no longer in my life. They've moved on to other places. Some of them may be with the Lord. But I think of that wonderful memory and how much Jesus went out of his way to rescue me. And, and I'll bet you right now, some of you are thinking the same thing, that you're remembering your own story and how Jesus rescued you. Can I just stop us and say, that's a wonderful Savior that we have that Jesus goes out of his way to rescue us and to bring us into his family. He's making his grace known to all of these people in Tyre and Sidon, in Decapolis, people who are not part of Israel, who are not part of the religious system that was always following him around and dogging him and trying to catch him in his words. And I think sometimes he may have tired of that and Maybe that's the reason he left the region altogether. But his mercy is an out-of-the-way mercy. It's also a detailed mercy. Verse 32, they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. Society then was very low-tech. But if you've ever, and, and Ringle's kind of a small town, but if you've ever been in, in even smaller towns, you know that low-tech means nothing when it comes to word-of-mouth communication. <laughs> it moves fast. And in this situation, uh, the word-of-mouth spread like wildfire about this teacher, this man named Jesus, who people were coming to hear teach. And that widespread knowledge led somebody to bring a deaf mute 
and ask Jesus to do something. You know, just last week we saw that four guys brought their friend to Jesus, and Jesus saw their faith, and he worked in behalf of this guy. And this is a similar situation. Here's somebody bringing somebody else because they're convinced Jesus can help their friend. Can I ask you, do you, do you have friends that you know, that you're convinced in your own heart that Jesus is their only hope for? Make sure that they hear of the Lord Jesus. This, whoever brought this man, he's, he's unnamed in the text, but whoever it is, he is convinced that Jesus is the only hope for his friend. And Jesus' actions show something very, very unique about Jesus. He not only wants to receive people, but catch this, he is sensitive toward the individual needs of this one man. In order to understand this, we have to keep in mind because you, you see some unique things here. Jesus touches ears, he spits, he does some weird things. I mean, let's just call it what it is. It sounds weird to us. But you keep in mind that this is a deaf man. He's not lacking in intelligence. His problem is that he has never heard human speech before. And he requires other means of communication. And so as a deaf man, what's happening around him might have sometimes been confusing, even somewhat frightening. And so Jesus, in sensitivity to this man's need, takes him aside from the multitude. Why does he do that? Because remember, Jesus, or the man didn't know who Jesus was. Most likely, he had never heard him teach. He may not even have known who he was. He may not have understood at all why he was being led to Jesus or what was going to happen when he got there. And so Jesus leads him away from the crowd to give him one-on-one -on -one attention, to focus the man's attention on himself. Away from the crowd would give the deaf man time to focus on Jesus' facial expression and to be comfortable in the presence of this stranger named Jesus. And so after that, we don't know how much time Jesus puts his fingers in his ears. Remember, sign language. You know, the man's first need was not to have his hearing back. The man's first need was to perceive that he was in a safe environment. That's the Jesus that you worship. He has compassion on this man's perception of him. And so he does it, not just by working a miracle, he does it by sign language, by expressing concern that the man understand what is about to happen to him. So he reaches out and touches his ears. And he communicates that way with this man. You see, that's what mercy does, brothers and sisters. The mercy of God has reached down to us and touched us in our deepest needs. And it still does that today. God still does that. He puts his fingers in the ears that, so that the communication to this man uh, it, it goes forth that Jesus is about to do something. And then he spits. That seems kind of funny, doesn't it? It is another action that communicates that Jesus is about to do something that something is going to come from him whereby this man will be the benefactor 
And then he touches the man's tongue. I don't know about you, but I've never touched somebody else's tongue. I don't really want to either. <laughs> but Jesus made the tongue. And so I guess it's okay. If you make something, if you want to touch it. <laughs> but what, why did he do that? Because he has already touched the ears. He's already communicated that something from him is going to make this guy better. And he now touches the tongue because now it's going to also affect the tongue. And then he looks up to heaven. He could have just prayed. But he looks up. He pauses. Again, to communicate with the man that what he's about to do that's going to affect his ears and his tongue is coming from God. Mercy meets a person right where they are. At their point of need, and this man's first point of need was his perception of who Jesus was. And so in picture language, Jesus deals with this man and communicates with him that what he's about to do is in full agreement with God Almighty and empowered from on high. And then he sighs. A sigh is likely another demonstration, another outward demonstration of his satisfaction in God. That God was about to do something for this man. And Jesus is satisfied with that. He is resting in the purposes of God for this man and what God would do through the man after he was healed. And then he speaks, and he says this Aramaic word, ephatha. Try saying that fast three times. <laughs> now, remember, we, we know this is an intelligent man. He can't hear, but he has made some efforts at communication because the text says that he spoke with an impediment. Most of us have heard deaf people try to speak, and it's not, even very gifted deaf people, even, even if they can learn to speak, there's still that somewhat of an impediment there because how does hearing happen? Well, it happens through a very long learning process. But having never heard, yet intellectually, he's intelligent enough to know that, that human beings communicate. He notices this. And he makes his efforts. But Jesus speaks one word in Aramaic. And it's actually a very common word. And the commonality of the word would, might have been something that the man had heard, or had, had understood before in his, in his uh, efforts to put things together. Yes, he has this impediment, but he's intelligent. And he, he puts things together that people communicate, and perhaps he's seen this word before. At the very least, the word is easy to lip-read. And so, watch my mouth as I say it. Ifafta. It is something easy for the man to say, Oh, Jesus is communicating. He is speaking. He has already communicated with me that he's going to do something for me, that he's relying on God in heaven. And now, he actually says something. And the moment he says that word, what happens? He heals the man. The hearing returns. And not just returns, but he can speak. Just a word. One simple word. 
When Jesus has our attention, dear ones, it only takes a word. (laughs) We're listening. We're ready for God to work. We are ready for that word from God. And in this man's case, it was the word, be opened. Be opened. And what we want to see now is the perfect mercy. Verse 35 tells us, immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. Have you thought through what it takes to learn to talk? A child repeatedly hears the language in which he's immersed and he gradually learns to associate these abstract sounds with objects and people and then he himself learns to articulate words and then to put simple sentences together and then over time, weeks, months, years, these sentences become more complicated as his vocabulary and his linguistic skills increase. It's a long process. Here there are two miracles. Jesus opened the man's ears so that the sounds of the world in which he lives can actually enter for the first time. Can you imagine what a thrill that was? Now I know some of you think our world is much too noisy and I would agree with some of that. But think if you'd never heard it. Whatever was biologically wrong with his ears, the same Jesus, the New Testament tells us, who actually spoke all things into existence, now says to this man with a word, be opened. And the power of God from Jesus began to recreate the hearing apparatus inside the man's head. What an amazing, amazing Jesus we have. That's the first miracle. The second miracle is that Jesus circumvented the entire process of learning to talk. Actually omitting the process altogether. He allowed the man to have immediate ability to speak as if he had been talking all his life. (laughs) That's what the touch of Jesus does for someone. It brings immediate change. Changes that can be observed and attributed to God's divine touch. This man heard for the first time in his life an an additionally clear and plain speech that would normally have taken years to develop was coming out of his mouth. You know, even if you're new to a country and you learn the language well, you, you never, as adult learners, we never really lose our accents. But here Jesus causes perfect speech immediately clear and obvious, observable outward demonstration that God in flesh had touched a human life. And I want to say to you that every person who has genuinely been touched by Jesus Christ will have clear, observable outward changes in his life. It is very sad to me, very disheartening, that too long the church and even our own denomination has proclaimed someone saved who walked an aisle or signed a card when their lives remained unaffected by the grace that they claimed to embrace. It, It causes me deep concern. I wonder how many people we've assigned to a Christless eternity who went into eternity thinking that a church membership made them all right with God. It doesn't. 
Membership in God's family makes us right with God. Can I get an amen to that, please? And that, dear ones, is some of the context that you minister in out there, in our southern society. You need to be clear that when Jesus touches a life, he brings observable, lasting change. Speaking of, it is a transforming mercy. Mark leaves us with comments about the people who witnessed this miracle. Those directly affected. Notice verse 36. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. Who are the them and they? Well, that's the the deaf man and the friend or friends who brought him to Jesus. That they should tell no one. The more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. Well, that's not reverse psychology. Jesus isn't trying to get something done by telling them not to do it. He needs to fulfill his earthly ministry. And this is Jesus, as a human being, trying to manage his fame because he knows that he has only so much time and so much, uh, to, and so much to do within that time frame. But here's the point that Mark wants us to grasp here. When you realize that you need God's touch and God touches you, there is nothing that can keep you quiet. You can't help yourself. You have to tell somebody. It simply spills out from your life as a normal course and changes everything about you. And verse 37 speaks of another they, the crowd, the, the community. They were astonished beyond measure, saying he has done all things well and makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. This is how the community ought to respond when they observe someone who's been touched genuinely by the living Lord Jesus Christ. As we see the effect Jesus has on people, it causes me to ask questions. Is what we have what they have? Let me put it in different terms. Is the joyless, lifeless, fruitless version of Christianity that is so common in the church truly a relationship with Jesus Christ? Evaluate that, brothers and sisters. If the Word of God is true, then we must evaluate our lives by the template of this Word. I think many of us in the room this morning may need a fresh touch from Jesus. How merciful he is to those who want him. But you know what we need to do? We need to relinquish our pride. We need to raise the white flag in our hearts. Remember that old hymn, All to Jesus I Surrender, All to Him I Freely Give. Just because this church doesn't have a high-pressure altar call doesn't mean you can't come to Jesus if that's what you've realized you need this morning. In fact, I want us to pause right now and bow our heads. If you're in the room this morning and you've realized that you've never really been touched by the living Lord Jesus Christ, 
if you've realized that, then that is God's invitation to you to reach for Jesus and ask for him to heal you, to, to save you, to bring you into his family. Would you cry out to him? Would you tell him that you are lost and headed for eternity without him unless you flee to his mercy and you're doing that right now? He says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And Christians, let me address you for just a moment. It's possible that as followers of Jesus, your amazement and astonishment with Jesus has been overshadowed by the cares of life and the focus of your heart on lesser things. I'm inviting you this morning as God's representative to repent and ask Christ to return to you the joy that you once had, that he is your Lord and Savior. And invite him afresh to touch you again wherever is your need, whatever is your heart's need this morning. You can assume that the Jesus who went to so much detail to deal with this deaf man cares for the details in your heart right now. Father, as we prepare for the communion table, we ask you, to do the work in our hearts that only you can do. Some in the room may have cried out to you for the first time. We ask, Lord, that you would assure them of your work in their hearts. To all of us who have needs, who have asked you to work afresh, we pray, Lord, that you would rekindle the fiery love that will let no rivals exist in our hearts with you. No lesser loves. No issues with other human beings. Nothing between you and us. We give you thanks for your incredible mercy, a mercy that is beyond our imagination, but that you have reminded us of this morning through your word. And we give you thanks in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Mike.